Welcome to the latest tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week, we will cover Farfetch's monster round of funding. We'll talk about the slowdown in funding in the food delivery space. Take a look at artist Will I Am, his company I Am Plus just acquired an Israeli startup called Sensia. And finally, we'll wrap up with a discussion of China and the opportunity it presents for European startups and scale-ups. Kicking off with Farfetch's new monster round of funding, this British-Portuguese company just raised a new $110 million round of funding, valuing the company at $1.5 billion. So this is a new F round of funding. I don't think I've ever talked about an F round before. And it includes some interesting Asia-based investors like Temasek, which is Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, and IDG Capital Partners, which is apparently one of China's first venture funds. Farfetch has raised more than $300 million to date with funds like Vitruvian. There are also investors in Skyscanner, Just Eat, Trustpilot have a really impressive portfolio. eVentures is another investor, Yuri Milner's DST Global, Felix Capital in London. And then they also have some other pretty solid investors like Fabrice Grinda. The company's last round was actually an $86 million round in March of last year. Yeah, and I can't remember if it was kind of a, an official unicorn at the time, but I think the general consensus was that it had reached a kind of the magic valuation mark. With this latest round, it definitely has. Uh, now it's now valued at one point five billion, so definitely kind of a, an official EU unicorn now. Even if it wasn't official before, I can't quite remember. I remember there was some discussion over it, but yeah, I mean it, something that, that's good about this round as well. I think is it shows that companies. I mean, you mentioned it about it being an F round. It shows that European companies can still close these big later rounds, even with the the kind of supposed talk around slowdown and stuff like that. Even though we haven't particularly seen it at tech eu but it just goes to show you know you need to raise 110 million at a series f as long as you've got a solid business and still showing signs of growth and you know looking at other markets and you can still raise those big rounds and you know we've we've only started talking about the company these last few years but it was actually founded in 2008 so can already talk about a seven to eight year old company um, founded by a Portuguese entrepreneur, Jose Neves, who's based in London. And today the site counts over 1000 luxury brands. Yeah, I used to. I, my, my opinion has changed on something. So I always find it funny how Farfetch is called Portuguese and British, right? Because it was started by a Portuguese person, but it was actually started in London. So in terms of the company, in terms of the business, very much actually uh, British technically. But one big change I've seen, and I used to think it was really funny when, say, in this case, Portugal would say, yeah, no, it's a Portuguese success because it happens in Nordics all the time. I mean, in Norway, in Denmark, they're very keen to kind of say, oh, no, that's a Danish success and stuff like that. When it's simply an entrepreneur with that nationality and they've done it in the States or in London from scratch. But actually, so I used to think that, yeah, it's not really a, a Norwegian or Portuguese success, whatever. But now what you see is these entrepreneurs, they go away, they come back after they've 
hopefully exited and that money actually does end up in the local ecosystem because they want to then support those companies so actually my kind of viewpoint has changed on this now and really just looking at it from a european perspective even you know ultimately this money will come back into those local ecosystems so whereas i would have had a problem before perhaps with far-fetched being called portuguese or british now i'm i'm kind of on that side of things because i believe that you know say farfetch eventually exits and they'll probably benefit in at least in some way from the kind of experience and perhaps the capital that has come with that so yeah it's quite interesting in terms of kind of a cultural shift in how we view companies there's a lot more of a defragmentation in europe now yeah and i was gonna say probably the example by excellence of a company that says no it's from this country and that country is Skype yeah. I think everybody always calls Skype uh, a European company because I think that's that's you know nobody can decide where it should actually say it's from but I guess it for in, in coming back to Farfetch it really shouldn't come back come as a surprise uh, given that a lot of the new investors in this round are primarily Asian the company is going after Asian expansion so China currently represents 12% of the company's sales the whole of the Asia Pacific region is around 14% of the company's business. I guess in Asia, Farfetch is looking specifically at China and Japan for its development. So now moving on to the next topic, while you may be hearing a lot about new food delivery sites, uh, funding in this space is actually seeing a bit of a slowdown. So investment in food delivery startups was at its high in Q1 of 2015, when startups in the space collectively raised just shy of 500 million euros. So that was 486 million for that given time period. However, the number has been on a steady decline ever since then. And for Q1 of this year, only one year later, we're at 32 million injected into the space. So that's a huge gap. Some of the leading companies in this space include Delivery Hero in Germany, Deliveroo in the UK, Pizzabo in Italy, La Nevera Roja in Spain, Just Eat across multiple countries, and there's a ton more. In 2015, these startups raised over 1 billion euros across 33 rounds of funding. So that was 6.9% of all the funding raised in Europe for 2015. So seven investments actually last year represented over 50 million euros in terms of the round of funding. These companies included Delivery Hero, Deliveroo, HelloFresh, and Food Panda. They all had massive rounds of funding. There were also 18 M&A deals in the space last year. So actually... Last year, very, very, very strong, but 2016 is actually showing a huge slowdown with only five startups raising funding in this space for the first part of this year. Yeah, I have to say that on the surface or on the headline, it's quite surprising. But then when you actually think about it a little deeper, then actually, I'm not that surprised. Because the reason why it seemed so big and why it represented such a large part of the funding was because, like you say, it was those big, big amounts, right? So there's only 33 rounds of funding last year. There's been five so far. So of course, there'll probably be less than 33 this year. But there's still only 33 investments that made up a disproportionate amount of the capital. I mean, 33 rounds of investment is not much for a sector in Europe, in all honesty. So, you know, we've regularly talked about this space before, and it gets cramped and it gets crowded. And also, there's not many investors that invest in this space. 
again, it's the same type or the same actual investors who are back in these different food startups in different areas or food delivery startups in different areas. So I'm not overly surprised because they've kind of made their bets now. They've got their horse in the race and they're going for that. So I think it is hard for new companies to attract funding, especially because this market has reached almost a saturation point. So yeah, when you think about it kind of beneath the numbers, it does make sense. But it's interesting in terms of, you know, what 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 does that mean? Does that affect the total funding in Europe at all? Because this made up such a large proportion last year. Well, actually, that was coming to my next point. This is actually not due to a slowdown in funding in Europe. Actually, quite the contrary. Europe is on a bit of a fundraising high. So 2016 is actually kind of a record-breaking year. Over 1,000 startups have scored funding in the first four months of the year. That's a total of over 6.2 million euros raised. Just to compare with last year in 2015, the 1,000 startups mark actually wasn't achieved until July. Yeah, that's amazing, right? So the rate is essentially a couple of months ahead than it was last year. So it really does go to show how many startups are able to get funding in Europe right now. I think the majority of that, a lot of it is down at the early stages as well. And and obviously, as the kind of the startup boom, or in this case, it still looks like we're in a startup boom, because these companies are popping up, they're able to get investment, and Europe is still attracting investment at a faster rate than ever. Yeah, of course, slowdown and, and stuff like that still persists in the in the kind of wider media. But again, this is further proof that we're yet to see this in Europe. In fact, you know, it's getting faster. Yeah. And if our listeners want more information on the funding situation in Europe for Q1 of this year, they can purchase the full report of the tech.eu Q1 funding report on our website. So now it's not every day that Hollywood comes to Europe, but it does seem like there's a growing interest in European startups for at least some of Hollywood's star investors. So most recently, Will I Am's company, I Am Plus, I hope I'm saying that right. I have no idea how you say any of these things. They acquired an Israeli startup called Sensia that specializes in context-aware technology for mobile and wearable devices. So the company's technology uses sensors on a phone to better understand their users. They collect important data, making a user profile. So I guess some examples of this can um, be, for example, how fast a user types what they like, whether they're male or female. One of the more interesting pieces of data they can collect is what the user is doing physically. So are they sitting or standing or something else? In terms of this acquisition, I guess all of the terms were actually undisclosed. But according to Geek Time, Sensa has actually been working with Will I Am for over a year now. The company was actually founded not too long ago in 2014 and includes a handful of very impressive Israeli investors, including Yossi Vardi and Avi Schechter. The last Last time we covered a celebrity investment or acquisition on the podcast was when singer Aloe Black invested in France-based startup Geroptic. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting, this acquisition. I mean, I don't really know too much about the company themselves, but I know a little bit of Will I Am, uh, especially his big interest in wearables. So in that case, it's not too much of a surprise, but still, it is a bit weird when, like you say, kind of celebrities do mix with tech, especially, I mean, especially when they're buying companies, it's a bit different than just investing in them, as we have seen more and more celebrities do. But to actually go out and acquire a company is is almost like a step above in terms of seriousness and kind of how much emphasis they're putting in tech. So I was kind of interested in the fact that it wasn't just an investment, it was an acquisition. But that wearable space is something that is 
very much of interest to him. And he is someone who loves tech gadgets and, and kind of all things a little bit out there. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. I mean, I, I think out of all of the celebrities who've shown an interest in tech, Will I Am has a good chance of kind of actually probably offering something rather considerable, at least in the sense that he is a visionary, he is passionate about the area. So I'll be very interested to see what he does and whether he can kind of, you know, almost build up a tech company of his own and really kind of make a move into this space. Yeah, and I think, you know, very, there's only few uh, Hollywood kind of names that could do this. And I do agree with you. I think he's definitely one of them. And finally, China. I feel like it's the new hot topic. Maybe it's the old hot topic. Like we all used to talk about Uber. Now we all talk about China. Anyway, Kelly Poon of Atomico published a post on tech.eu on the opportunity that China presents for European startups in scale-up. So she starts off by introducing the opportunity in China. So 650 million internet users, huge market. She talks a lot about many European companies that are very excited about China, but often many that actually return home in defeat. So when I read this, I actually thought, you know, it sounds like it makes total sense. China, very complicated market, probably tons of naive entrepreneurs just glancing, waltzing in there thinking they can do whatever they want. But I actually can't think of a European company that has launched in China and failed. So Neil, do you have any examples that come to mind? Uh, no, I don't have any examples either. I mean, it's like you said, there's, there's nothing very obvious that stands out to me, or at least doesn't stand out immediately to me. But I imagine most of this is because they've probably tried to soft launch or kind of just dip their toes in the water. And perhaps it hasn't gone to plan. And then they've kind of pulled out but it's all happened kind of very quietly and, and kind of a bit stealthy so i imagine that it does happen and i can certainly see companies messing it up and then kind of giving up on it so i i agree that it seems like a very very real possibility i don't know any real examples but i still think that is that definitely goes on but perhaps we don't know too much about it yeah, and she was formerly at Skype with Atomico founder Nicholas Zenstrom, who our listeners already know is Tech.eu's Person of the Year for 2015. She seems to be largely involved in helping Atomico's European portfolio with their Asia-based operations. So she gives a lot of advice, actually very, very good advice in this article. One thing she said, for example, is to avoid appointing a head of Asia as what we often see in Europe. Uh, and the reason for this is that the culture and the business behavior are far more different across Asian countries than European countries. That's according to her. But I have to say, I think even in Europe, we're starting to see a fragmentation. Like you'll see a head of Southern Europe and a head of Northern Europe because you really can't say that, you know, people in Spain and Italy are really doing business like they are in Norway and Denmark. So I think, I think she, she probably has a point there, but I can't say that's a rule that we use across the board. Uh, she mentions a few other key points, but one that really caught my attention was actually when companies go to Asia, they should focus much more on building trust rather than drafting contracts. And I think this is probably definitely a Western approach, thinking that contracts kind of maintain the relationship and that quantity of, you know, contracts, relationships or whatever is much more important than quality. Yeah, that's definitely what I've heard before as well. I was actually on a panel a couple of weeks ago at LSE regarding kind of internationalizing companies and expanding. And China actually came up more than any other place. Like you say, it seems to be the hot topic right now. That's what everyone wanted to talk about in terms of, you know, how can we expand to China or, you know, what opportunities are there? And how do we go about doing it? And 
the other thing that came up a lot, it's not in this article so much, it kind of touches on it, but the thing that kept coming up when I was discussing this topic was the importance of having local partners. It seems so obvious, yet so many companies don't actually do it. So actually having local partners on the ground who can help you do it, someone local to kind of head up the operation as well. Um, so it's all about that kind of local knowledge and tapping into that and taking advantage of that rather than just going there and actually trying to figure it out yourself, especially in a market like China. So that's kind of touched upon on the article, but not said explicitly, but that's something that at least kept coming up over and over again from the experts on the panel that I did. So I, I think that's also something that's, yeah, it does seem so obvious, but apparently companies aren't doing that. So yeah, I would also add that to discussion as well. Yeah, and I would have to say to our listeners, for more terrific advice on doing business in China, be sure to check out her article. And that's it for this week. You can listen to the podcast and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Acast. You can leave feedback for us or get in touch with us with your comments. We're on Twitter at Neil SW Murray and at Roxanne Vaza and at tech underscore EU. So please do get in touch with us. And of course, the website is tech.eu. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.